Chapter Nineteen of France and England in North America, Part Five. Count Fontenac, New France, Louis the Fourteenth, by Francis Parkman Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen, sixteen ninety six to sixteen ninety eight. Frontenac attacks the Onondagas. On the fourth of July, Frontenac left Montreal at the head of about twenty two hundred men on the nineteenth he reached fort frontenac and on the twenty-sixth he crossed to the southern shore of lake ontario a swarm of indian canoes led the way next followed two battalions of regulars in bateaux commanded by calière then more bateaux laden with cannon mortars and rockets then frontenac himself surrounded by the canoes of his staff and his guard then eight hundred canadians under ramsay while more regulars and more indians all commanded by vaudreuil brought up the rear in two days they reached the mouth of the oswego strong scouting parties were sent out to scour the forests in front while the expedition slowly and painfully worked its way up the stream most of the troops and canadians marched through the matted woods along the banks while the bateaux and canoes were pushed rowed paddled or dragged forward against the current on the evening of the thirtieth they reached the falls where the river plunged over ledges of rock which completely stopped the way the work of carrying was begun at once the indians and canadians carried the canoes to the navigable water above and gangs of men dragged the bateau up the portage path on rollers night soon came and the work was continued till ten o'clock by torchlight frontenac would have passed on foot like the rest but the indians would not have it so they lifted him in his canoe upon their shoulders and bore him in triumph singing and yelling through the forest and along the margin of the rapids the blaze of the torches lighting the strange procession where plumes of officers and uniforms of the governor's guard mingled with the feathers and scalp-locks of naked savages when the falls were passed the troops pushed on as before along the narrow stream and through the tangled labyrinths on either side till on the first of august they reached lake onondaga and with sails set the whole flotilla glided before the wind and landed the motley army on a rising ground half a league from the salt springs of salina the next day was spent in building a fort to protect their canoes bateaux and stores and as evening closed a ruddy glow above the southern forest told them that the town of onondaga was on fire the marquis de crissacy was left with a detachment to hold the fort and at sunrise on the fourth the army moved forward in order of battle it was formed in two lines regulars on the right and left and canadians in the centre calière commanded the first line and vaudreuil the second frontenac was between them surrounded by his staff officers and his guard and followed by the artillery which relays of canadians dragged and lifted forward with inconceivable labour the governor enfeebled by age was carried in an armchair while calière disabled by gout was mounted on a horse brought for the purpose in one of the bateaux to subercasse fell the hard task of directing the march among the dense columns of the primeval forest by hill and hollow over rocks and fallen trees through swamps brooks and gullies among thickets brambles and vines it was but eight or nine miles to onondaga but they were all day in reaching it and evening was near when they emerged from the shadows of the forest into the broad light of the indian clearing the maize fields stretched before them for miles and in the midst lay the charred and smoking ruins of the iroquois capital not an enemy was to be seen but they found the dead bodies of two murdered french prisoners 
scouts were sent out guards were set and the disappointed troops encamped on the maize fields onondaga formerly an open town had been fortified by the english who had enclosed it with a double range of strong palisades forming a rectangle flanked by bastions at the four corners and surrounded by an outer fence of tall poles the place was not defensible against cannon and mortars and the four hundred warriors belonging to it had been but slightly reinforced from the other tribes of the confederacy each of which feared that the french attack might be directed against itself on the approach of an enemy of five times their number they had burned their town and retreated southward into distant forests the troops were busied for two days in hacking down the maize digging up the cache for hidden stores of food and destroying their contents the neighboring tribe of the oneida sent a messenger to beg peace frontenac replied that he would grant it on condition that they all should migrate to canada and settle there and vaudreuil with seven hundred men was sent to enforce the demand meanwhile a few onondaga stragglers had been found and among them hidden in a hollow tree a withered warrior eighty years old and nearly blind frontenac would have spared him but the indian allies christians from the mission villages were so eager to burn him that it was thought inexpedient to refuse them they tied him to the stake and tried to shake his constancy by every torture that fire could inflict but not a cry nor a murmur escaped him he defied them to do their worst till enraged at his taunts one of them gave him a mortal stab i thank you said the old stoic with his last breath but you ought to have finished as you began and killed me by fire learn from me you dogs of frenchmen how to endure pain and you dogs of dogs their indian allies think what you will do when you are burned like me vaudreuil and his detachment returned within three days after destroying oneida with all the growing corn and seizing a number of chiefs as hostages for the fulfilment of the demands of frontenac there was some thought of marching on cayuga but the governor judged it to be inexpedient and as it would be useless to chase the fugitive onondagas nothing remained but to return home while frontenac was on his march governor fletcher had heard of his approach and called the council at new york to consider what should be done they resolved that it will be very grievous to take the people from their labor and there is likewise no money to answer the charge thereof money was however advanced by colonel courtland and others and the governor wrote to connecticut and new jersey for their contingents of men but they thought the matter no concern of theirs and did not respond fletcher went to albany with the few men he could gather at the moment and heard on his arrival that the french were gone then he convoked the chiefs condoled with them and made them presents corn was sent to the onondagas and oneidas to support them through the winter and prevent the famine which the french hoped would prove their destruction what frontenac feared had come to pass the enemy had saved themselves by flight and his expedition like that of denonville was but half successful he took care however to announce it to the king as a triumph sire the benedictions which heaven has ever showered upon your majesty's arms have extended even to this new world whereof we have had visible proof in the expedition i have just made against the onondagas the principal nation of the iroquois i had long projected this enterprise but the difficulties and risks which attended it made me regard it as imprudent and i should never have resolved to undertake it if i had not last year established an entrepot 
fort frontenac which made my communications more easy and if i had not known beyond all doubt that this was absolutely the only means to prevent our allies from making peace with the iroquois and introducing the english into their country by which the colony would infallibly be ruined nevertheless by unexpected good fortune the onondagas who pass for masters of the other iroquois and the terror of all the indians of this country fell into a sort of bewilderment which could only have come from on high and were so terrified to see me march against them in person and cover their lakes and rivers with nearly four hundred sail that without availing themselves of passes where a hundred men might easily hold four thousand in check they did not dare to lay a single ambuscade but after waiting till i was five leagues from their fort they set it on fire with all their dwellings and fled with their families twenty leagues into the depths of the forest it could have been wished to make the affair more brilliant for they had tried to hold their fort against us for we were prepared to force it and kill a great many of them but their ruin is not the less sure because the famine to which they are reduced will destroy more than we could have killed by sword and gun all the officers and men have done their duty admirably and especially m de calliere who has been a great help to me i know not if your majesty will think that i have tried to do mine and will hold me worthy of some mark of honour that may enable me to pass the short remainder of my life in some little distinction but whether this be so or not i most humbly pray your majesty to believe that i will sacrifice the rest of my days to your majesty's service with the same ardour i have always felt the king highly commended him and sent him the cross of the military order of st louis calliere who had deserved it less had received it several years before but he had not found or provoked so many defamers fontenac complained to the minister that his services had been slightly and tardily requited this was true and it was due largely to the complaints excited by his own perversity and violence these complaints still continued but the fault was not all on one side and frontenac himself had often just reason to retort them he wrote to pontchartrain if you will not be so good as to look closely into the true state of things here i shall always be exposed to detraction and forced to make new apologies which is very hard for a person so full of zeal and uprightness as i am my secretary who is going to france will tell you all the ugly intrigues used to defeat my plans for the service of the king and the growth of the colony i have long tried to combat these artifices but i confess that i no longer feel strength to resist them and must succumb at last if you will not have the goodness to give me strong support he still continued to provoke the detraction which he deprecated till he drew at last a sharp remonstrance from the minister the dispute you have had with m de champigny is without cause and i confess i cannot comprehend how you could have acted as you have done if you do things of this sort you must expect disagreeable consequences which all the desire i have to oblige you cannot prevent it is deplorable both for you and for me that instead of using my good will to gain favours from his majesty you compel me to make excuses for a violence which answers no purpose and in which you indulge wantonly nobody can tell why most of these quarrels however trivial in themselves had a solid foundation and were closely connected with the great question of the control of the west as to the measures to be taken two parties divided the colony one consisting of the governor and his friends and the other of the intendant the jesuits and such of the merchants as were not in favour with frontenac 
his policy was to protect the indian allies at all risks to repel by force if necessary every attempt of the english to encroach on the territory in dispute and to occupy it by forts which should be at once posts of war and commerce and places of rendezvous for traders and voyageurs champigny and his party denounced this system urged that the forest posts should be abandoned that both garrisons and traders should be recalled that the french should not go to the indians but that the indians should come to the french that the fur trade of the interior should be carried on at montreal and that no frenchman should be allowed to leave the settled limits of the colony except the jesuits and persons in their service who as champigny insisted would be able to keep the indians in the french interest without the help of soldiers strong personal interests were active on both sides and gave bitterness to the strife frontenac who always stood by his friends had placed tonti la forêt la motte cadillac and others of their number in charge of the forest posts where they made good profit by trade moreover the licenses for trading expeditions into the interior were now as before used largely for the benefit of his favourites the jesuits also declared and with some truth that the forest posts were centres of debauchery and that the licenses for the western trade were the ruin of innumerable young men all these reasons were laid before the king in vain frontenac represented that to abandon the forest posts would be to resign to the english the trade of the interior country and at last the country itself the royal ear was open to his opponents and the royal instincts reinforced their arguments the king enamoured of subordination and order wished to govern canada as he governed a province of france and this could be done only by keeping the population within prescribed bounds therefore he commanded that licenses for the forest trade should cease that the forest posts should be abandoned and destroyed that all frenchmen should be ordered back to the settlements and that none should return under pain of the galleys an exception was made in favour of the jesuits who were allowed to continue their western missions subject to restrictions designed to prevent them from becoming a cover to illicit fur trade frontenac was also directed to make peace with the iroquois even if necessary without including the western allies of france that is he was authorized by louis the fourteenth to pursue the course which had discredited and imperilled the colony under the rule of denonville the intentions of the king did not take effect the policy of frontenac was the true one whatever motives may have entered into his advocacy of it in view of the geographical social political and commercial conditions of canada the policy of his opponents was impracticable and nothing less than a perpetual cordon of troops could have prevented the canadians from escaping to the backwoods in spite of all the evils that attended the forest posts it would have been a blunder to abandon them this quickly became apparent champigny himself saw the necessity of compromise the instructions of the king were scarcely given before they were partially withdrawn and they soon became a dead letter even fort frontenac was retained after repeated directions to abandon it the policy of the governor prevailed the colony returned to its normal methods of growth and so continued to the end now came the question of peace with the iroquois to whose mercy frontenac was authorized to leave his western allies he was the last man to accept such permission since the burning of onondaga the iroquois negotiations with the western tribes had been broken off and several fights had occurred in which the confederates had suffered loss and been roused to vengeance this was what frontenac wanted but at the same time it promised him fresh trouble for while he was determined to prevent the iroquois from making peace with the allies without his authority 
he was equally determined to compel them to do so with it there must be peace though not till he could control its conditions the onondaga campaign unsatisfactory as it was had had its effect several iroquois chiefs came to quebec with overtures of peace they brought no prisoners but promised to bring them in the spring and one of them remained as a hostage that a promise should be kept it was nevertheless broken under english influence and instead of a solemn embassy the council of onondaga sent a messenger with a wampum belt to tell frontenac that they were all so engrossed in bewailing the recent death of black kettle a famous war-chief that they had no strength to travel and they begged that onuncio would return the hostage and send to them for the french prisoners the messenger farther declared that though they would make peace with onuncio they would not make it with his allies frontenac threw back the peace belt into his face tell the chiefs that if they must needs stay at home to cry about a trifle i will give them something to cry for let them bring me every prisoner french and indian and make a treaty that shall include all my children or they shall feel my tomahawk again then turning to a number of ottawas who were present you see that i can make peace for myself when i please if i continue the war it is only for your sake i will never make a treaty without including you and recovering your prisoners like my own thus the matter stood when a great event took place early in february a party of dutch and indians came to montreal with news that peace had been signed in europe and at the end of may major peter schuyler accompanied by delius the minister of albany arrived with copies of the treaty in french and latin the scratch of a pen at riswick had ended the conflict in america so far at least as concerned the civilized combatants it was not till july that frontenac received the official announcement from versailles coupled with an address from the king to the people of canada our faithful and beloved the moment has arrived ordained by heaven to reconcile the nations the ratification of the treaty concluded some time ago by our ambassadors with those of the emperor and the empire after having made peace with spain england and holland has everywhere restored the tranquillity so much desired strasbourg one of the chief ramparts of the empire of heresy united forever to the church and to our crown the rhine established as the barrier between france and germany and what touches us even more the worship of the true faith authorized by a solemn engagement with sovereigns of another religion are the advantages secured by this last treaty the author of so many blessings manifests himself so clearly that we cannot but recognize his goodness and the visible impress of his all-powerful hand is as it were the seal he has affixed to justify our intent to cause all our realm to serve and obey him and to make our people happy we have begun by the fulfilment of our duty in offering him the thanks which are his due and we have ordered the archbishops and bishops of our kingdom to cause te deum to be sung in the cathedrals of their dioceses it is our will and our command that you be present at that which will be sung in the cathedral of our city of quebec on the day appointed by the count of frontenac our governor and lieutenant-general in new france herein fail not for such is our pleasure louis there was peace between the two crowns but a serious question still remained between frontenac and the new governor of new york the earl of belmont when schuyler and delius came to quebec they brought with them all the french prisoners in the hands of the english of new york together with a promise from belmont that he would order the iroquois subjects of the british crown to deliver to him all those in their possession and that he would send them to canada under a safe escort 
the two envoys demanded of frontenac at the same time that he should deliver to them all the iroquois in his hands to give up iroquois prisoners to belmont or to receive through him french prisoners whom the iroquois had captured would have been an acknowledgment of british sovereignty over the five confederate tribes frontenac replied that the earl need give himself no trouble in the matter as the iroquois were rebellious subjects of king louis that they had already repented and begged peace and that if they did not soon come to conclude it he should use force to compel them belmont wrote in return that he had sent arms to the iroquois with orders to defend themselves if attacked by the french and to give no quarter to them or their allies and he added that if necessary he would send soldiers to their aid a few days after he received fresh news of frontenac's warlike intentions and wrote in wrath as follows sir two of our indians of the nation called onondagas came yesterday to advise me that you had sent two renegades of their nation to them to tell them and the other tribes except the mohawks that in case they did not come to canada within forty days to solicit peace from you they may expect your marching into their country at the head of an army to constrain them thereunto by force i on my side do this very day send my lieutenant-governor with the king's troops to join the indians and to oppose any hostilities he will attempt and if needs be i will arm every man in the provinces under my government to repel you and to make reprisals for the damage you will commit on our indians this in a few words is the part i will take and the resolution i have adopted whereof i have thought it proper by these presents to give you notice i am sir yours etc etc earl of belmont new york twenty second august sixteen ninety eight to arm every man in his government would have been difficult he did however what he could and ordered captain nanfan the lieutenant-governor to repair to albany whence on the first news that the french were approaching he was to march to the relief of the iroquois with the four shattered companies of regulars and as many of the militia of albany and ulster as he could muster then the earl sent vessels mayor of albany to persuade the iroquois to deliver their prisoners to him and make no treaty with frontenac on the same day he dispatched captain john schuyler to carry his letters to the french governor when schuyler reached quebec and delivered the letters frontenac read them with marks of great displeasure my lord belmont threatens me he said does he think that i am afraid of him he claims the iroquois but they are none of his they call me father and they call him brother and shall not a father chastise his children when he sees fit a conversation followed in which frontenac asked the envoy what was the strength of belmont's government schuyler parried the question by a grotesque exaggeration and answered that the earl could bring about a hundred thousand men into the field frontenac pretended to believe him and returned with careless gravity that he had always heard so the following sunday was the day appointed for the te deum ordered by the king and all the dignitaries of the colony with a crowd of lesser note filled the cathedral there was a dinner of ceremony at the chateau to which schuyler was invited and he found the table of the governor thronged with officers frontenac called on his guests to drink the health of king william schuyler replied by a toast in honour of king louis and the governor next gave the health of the earl of belmont the peace was then solemnly proclaimed amid the firing of cannon from the batteries and ships and the day closed with a bonfire and a general illumination on the next evening frontenac gave schuyler a letter in answer to the threats of the earl he had written with trembling hand but unshaken will and unbending pride 
i am determined to pursue my course without flinching and i request you not try to thwart me by efforts which will prove useless all the protection and aid you tell me that you have given and will continue to give the iroquois against the terms of the treaty will not cause me much alarm nor make me change my plans but rather on the contrary engage me to pursue them still more as the old soldier traced these lines the shadow of death was upon him toils and years passions and cares had wasted his strength at last and his fiery soul could bear him up no longer a few weeks later he was lying calmly on his deathbed. End of chapter 19